This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. Yeah, we defeated an enemy. It must have been this. Rather than giving glory and honor to the one true God. So God is now, he's going to withdraw his hand from blessing and from provision for Israel. Now she's going to suffer the loss of physical nourishment, where it says that, uh, you know, I'll go after my lovers who give me bread and water. God's going to say, no, I'm I'm going to take my hand away. You'll find out where your bread and water come from. You'll find out where your physical nourishment comes from. Pastor David is continuing today in Hosea. We can see Hosea remain faithful throughout his lifetime, yet God's people did not. We examine the prophecies about the Lord withdrawing his hand from his people. This shows us today as a nation that if we continue to turn our back on him, he will remove his hand from us. This should make us shudder. Get on our knees in prayer. We're continuing to be encouraged throughout this teaching, however, so listen in for more. Now, here's Pastor David in the book of Hosea, chapter 1, verse 1, with today's study. The dumb thing is, is people bought into it. And so, very quickly, as they built those places of worship, they built these calves, these golden calves. Now, where do we find that, okay? Let's go back to the the desert wanderings. Let's go back to Moses up getting the Ten Commandments. He comes down, and Aaron had built these... No, I didn't build them. It just kind of jumped out of the fire. I don't know. And, And the people were worshiping. And that's the very same kind of a thing that they began worshiping up in the northern kingdom. And they got into all kinds of pagan worship, completely devoid of what they knew to be right. And God had told him over and over and over, you're not gonna, you don't have any other gods before me. Don't be building idols and all these kinds of things. But they went, they, they bought it hook, line, and sinker as they went in and began again with the false worship and the pagan worship. And so the Lord says, you know what? I want your last son to be called Lo Ami because you're not my people anymore and I will not be your God. So the Lord declares his absolute rejection and destruction toward them but you know what guys that's the doom and gloom but here also comes the faithfulness and the hope because what does he say in verse 10 yet the number of the children of israel shall be as the sand of the sea which cannot be measured or numbered and it shall come to pass in the place where it is said to them you're not my people there it shall be said You are the sons of the living God. So those who at one time were rejected. Now, again, we can look at this and say, well, are we talking about the next generations? And it could very well be. Could it be talking about the Gentiles? I believe it's definitely speaking about that. But I believe that, again, in the overall course of things, what God is saying, yes, I am rejecting you. But you're not the end of the work that I'm doing. Just like right now, there are many who are in Israel that die outside of Christ, outside of salvation. They are Israelites, but they don't have faith in the Messiah. But that's not because God has given up on them. God is still working with them and will still bring many. He he goes on to say in verse 11, Then the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together. This is that time when he says, Those that said, you're not my people, they'll be sons of the living God. He says, Then the children of Judah and the children of Israel, they'll be gathered together and appoint for themselves one head. 
and they shall come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. God made a covenant relationship with Abraham. And here he is, he's just simply declaring that he was not, nor will he ever, break that covenant relationship. There were individuals that never entered into that relationship. But as a people, God maintained that relationship. But they still had to obey it, still had to come to it independently, one by one. When we look at the division of the kingdoms, we actually find that when the northern kingdom broke away, that there were a lot of those that instead of going to the northern kingdom out of all of those tribes, those ten tribes, the ten, what they call the ten lost tribes, we'll talk about that in a moment, that out of that, people came from every tribe back down to Judah. We, we read in Second Chronicles chapter 11, for from all their territories, the priests and the Levites who were in all Israel took their stand with him. For the Levites left their common lands and their possessions and came to Judah and Jerusalem. For Jeroboam and his sons had rejected them from serving as priests to the Lord. So, in other words, when the break came, the Levites and all came down to Judah. Jeroboam was setting up his own worship, as we said a moment ago. We continue on in Second Chronicles. He says, Then Jeroboam appointed for himself priest for the high places, for the demons and the calf idols which he had made. And after the Levites left, those from all the tribes of Israel, people from every tribe, every one of those tribes that broke away, those from all the tribes of Israel, such as set their heart to seek the Lord God of Israel, came to Jerusalem to sacrifice to the Lord God of their fathers. How many of you have ever heard the, the ten lost tribes? Anybody? Okay, okay. Some, some people actually believe it, that, you know, there's, there were ten, that when Israel fell and the Assyrians wiped them out, that we just kind of like lost ten tribes. I believe there's a lot about that in Mormonism that speaks about, you know, that, hey, we're, we're, we're part of that uh, ten lost tribes, or the, the, the Native Americans are part of that ten lost tribes. God ain't never lost nobody, folks, okay? Bad English, but good theology, okay? God has not lost anyone, because out of those ten tribes that went away, there were people within those ten tribes that still came down and still worshipped. So I believe that the ones that speak about those ten lost tribes, problem is they just don't know their Bible. They, they just don't look and don't read. So now, beginning in, in chapter 2, and some versions or some Bibles might have the first verse of chapter 2 with that second part, and I have, with that last part of uh, chapter 1, I have no problem with that. It kind of fits better in there, and like I've told you before, the chapter divisions and the, the verses, they're not inspired. Uh, we just do that to be able to find the, the verse better. So we could easily say to, uh, say to your brethren, my people, and to your sisters, mercy is shown as part of that message that he gave that, hey, I want you guys to come back together. I'm going to gather you together. You're going to come up out of the land. Great will be the day of Jezreel. Say to your brethren, my people, and to your sisters, mercy is shown. Then we kind of get into that second uh, chapter. So, second chapter beginning now in verse 2. Here in, in this place, it, it, it starts sounding a little weird. The dialogue sounds a little strange. Uh, it's as though Hosea is speaking to his 
children, but it's really God speaking to the people of Israel. It continues on with this warning. He says, bring charges against your mother, bring charges, for she is not my wife, nor am I her husband. Let her put away her harlotries from her sight and her adulteries from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and expose her as in the day she was born and make her like a wilderness and set her like a dry land and slay her with thirst. I will not have mercy on her children, for they are the children of harlotry, for their mother has played the harlot. She who conceived them has behaved shamefully, for she said, I will go after my lovers who give me bread and my water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. I believe again that the leadership of Israel, they had so totally disconnected themselves from the reality that it had been God that had covered them, had protected them, had had blessed them for so long. Not these little pagan deities that they started forming and fashioning with their own hands, the ones that they bought off of the, the pagans of the land or they copied from the pagans of the land. They, rather than those doing all the protection, no, it had been God that even even in their disobedience, God's protection was over. And, and we speak about this, this common grace of God. There is a common grace of God that's, that's, that's over just His creation. Otherwise, this creation would be absolutely in, in absolute destruction and turmoil. But I believe that the common grace of God kind of holds things together, not because we're obedient to him, but because God is still working within that. So here, Israel, the northern kingdom, they had felt that it was all these deities that had provided for them. Hey, we had a great harvest. It must have been this God or that God. Or, hey, I've got a great healthy family. It must have been this God or that God. Or, yay, we defeated an enemy. It must have been this. Rather than giving glory and honor to the one true God. So God is now, he's going to withdraw his hand from blessing and from provision for Israel. Now she's going to suffer the loss of physical nourishment, where it says that, uh, you know, I'll go after my lovers who give me bread and water. God's going to say, nope, I'm, I'm going to take my hand away. You'll find out where your bread and water come from. You'll find out where your physical nourishment comes from. And I believe that there are going to be famines in the land at that point in time. There were going to be food shortages. God was going to pull away his protective hand where Israel says, hey, my wool and my linen, it comes from my lovers, from these other pagan deities that I serve. I believe at that point in time, God's protective hand was, was being removed. And so they had these continual attacks of the enemy from these outside forces till finally they, they fell. I believe also that even pleasure where it says that, again, my oil and my drink come from these pagan gods. They weren't going to be able to find any kind of a lasting pleasure at all in the things of this world. Why? Because God was going to pull his hand away. I look at the world today, and, and, I, and again, um, we can look all over the world, but let's bring it right here to our country. And I, and I see things of... I know you can't believe everything you read on the Internet. I, I understand that. But uh, there's, there's enough reality of what's going on with our, with our food sources and the provisions and everything within our country that just scares you to death. You, you wonder, why in the world do we have so much cancer everywhere, all the time? I, I think it's because, again, the hand of God is gone. And, and we're, we're trying to make do in, in ways that God never intended for us to make do for 
the protection of our land. Yeah, we're having we're having more attacks on on our soil now than than ever in in our history. God's protective hand being pulled. Pleasure, just the joy of life. I, I look around and people, yeah, even even Christians that man, they live their lives in stress and just overwhelmed by life. God doesn't intend for us to live that way. God never intended for us to live that way. God intends for us to be able to say, man, the joy of the Lord is my strength, and man, he, he gives me uh, n- new new beginnings every every morning, and man, I can walk and I can just have joy in the presence of the Lord in my life. And yet for most believers, they're so overwhelmed and so fearful and so anxious about the things of this world, that man, instead of the joy of the Lord being our strength, it's like, man... I'm so overwhelmed by life, by life. And the things that used to bring pleasure just don't anymore. And the world itself, though those that are outside of Christ, they try to find pleasure in so many things. And yeah, and even, uh, even believers try to find pleasure in so many things. They find it so, so empty. Maybe the reason is, is because we're so, so far away from that covering of God in our life that we're not finding pleasure in the simplicity just of life, the joy of family, the joy of friends, the joy of life that we have. He goes on, what's God going to do with, with the nation? He says in verse 6, I'm, I'm, I'm going to hedge up your way with thorns, and I'm going to wall her in so that she can't find her paths. She will chase her lovers but not overtake them. Yes, she will seek them but not find them. Then she will say, I will go and return to my first husband, for then it was better for me than now. For she didn't understand or she didn't know that I gave her grain, new wine, and oil, and multiplied her silver and gold, which they prepared for Baal. All of this God is doing in order to get the nation to turn back to him. How easily God could say, poof, and they would be gone. God could whack them really strong and really hard. They would be totally out of it. But God says, no, I'm just going to make your life absolutely difficult to where you're going to just struggle in everything so that hopefully, eventually, you're going to say, you know what? These lovers, these pagan gods, these, these other things in life that I'm chasing, they're so empty. They're, they're so useless and they're, they're not giving the satisfaction. They don't give the covering and... I just want to go back to my first love. Isn't that what he told the church of Ephesus? You've, you've left your first love. And why isn't the church as powerful and as filled with the joy of the Lord as we need to be? Maybe many within the body of Christ have left their first love and they're trying to find satisfaction with one foot in the church and one foot in the world. And beloved, that's the most miserable of people. The most miserable of people is the Christian that's trying to find satisfaction in the world. The world has more satisfaction than you do because you know right. And see the world doesn't know right. So they're going to find don't 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 tell a don't tell a non-believer, "Well, you're just really miserable and you need to come to Christ." Because most of the world says they don't know they're miserable. Okay? They're just happy as as a lark, many of them. Some of them know, yeah, how wretched their life is, but most of the time, that's after the fact, after they come to Christ. But the one who knows they're wretched and miserable is the one who's 
got one foot in the church and one foot in the world and trying to straddle the fence. And what God is saying here to Israel, what the message is to Gomer, the wife of uh, Hosea, what the message is to us is, you know, God's going to fence us in to where we can't find satisfaction, we can't find pleasure in the things of this world, to where hopefully we'll turn our hearts back and say, you know what, I need to go back to my first love. They had taken the blessing of God, used it in the worship of other deities. That's like you and I as believers, taking the strength, the finances, the time, that time, talent, and resources that we speak about, and using it to find pleasure in the world, rather than using it to the things of the Lord. Not giving God the glory for his provision, but they were using the blessings of God in ways that were an absolute abomination to God. So verse 9, we carry on. Therefore, I, God speaking here, therefore I will return and I'll take away my grain in its time and my new wine in its season. I'll take back my wool and my linen given to cover her nakedness. Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall deliver her from my hand. I will also cause all her mirth to cease, her feast days, her new moons, her Sabbath, all her appointed feasts. I'll destroy her vines and her fig trees, of which she has said, These are my wages that my lovers have given me. So I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field shall eat them. I will punish her for the days of the Baals, which she burned incense. She decked herself with her earrings and jewelry and went after her lovers. But me she forgot, says the Lord. It's interesting, again, to see how God's going to remove everything from her, making her absolute destitute and shamefully open before all of the world. And yet the whole reason that he's doing that is for reconciliation to draw her back to himself. Real quick, look at the rest of the words of this chapter. Therefore, again, this reconciliation that God's doing. Therefore, behold, I will allure her. I will bring her into the wilderness, and I will speak comfort to her. Again, like one that's romancing uh, for for one bringing. Um, I'll, I'll speak comfort to her. I will give her her vineyards from there, and the valley of Achor as a door of hope. She shall sing there, and as in the days of her youth, as in the days when she came up from the land of Egypt, and it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me my husband, and no longer call me my master. You see, God is saying, man, I want to have this intimate relationship with you. That's the same word that God gives us today. He wants to have that kind of relationship with us. Yes, he is the greatness of who God is, but at the same time, he wants us to have that kind of intimacy as a believer with him. He says in verse 17, I'll take from her mouth the names of the Baals, and they shall be remembered by their name no more. And that day I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the creeping things of the ground. Bow and sword of battle I will shatter from the earth to make them lie down safely. If you think that this sounds a lot like the millennial reign of Revelation 20, I believe that's because it is. I believe that's what he's saying. Yeah, I, I, man, it, it's, it's going to be okay. I've got this thing planned out. I've got a purpose for you. I've got all of these things. 
These are similar words that we read in these words of the prophets, these that come and speak against Israel and speak against Judah. Men like Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Zechariah, they speak these same kinds of things. In Micah chapter 4, we read these words. In Micah 4, verse 1 through 4, the word speaks and says, Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and peoples shall flow to it. Many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion the law shall go forth, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples, and rebuke strong nations afar off. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore, but everyone shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. That's the promise that we have in Christ. Is life the pits right now? Yeah, sometimes it is. Sometimes it's an overwhelming battle, but our God is still in charge, and we need to keep our focus and the reality on, on what he is doing in our life. Some of you know in my backyard I have a fig tree and a couple of grapevines. The reason I do is just to continually remind me of Micah chapter 4. That whole idea that God has a plan. God has a purpose. God will bring all of these things together. Here in Hosea, the Lord finishes that little section off in, in verses 19 through 23 of chapter 2. And he says there, verse 19, I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will answer, says the Lord. I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth. The earth shall answer with grain, with new wine, with oil. They shall answer Jezreel. Then I will sow her for myself in the earth, and I will have mercy on her who had not obtained mercy. And then I will say to those who are not my people, you are my people. And they shall say, you are my God. The promise of God, and then we see it over and over and over and over again, is judgment or discipline for disobedience. Okay? Let's just throw that out there. If we are disobedient... God will bring either judgment or he will bring discipline to us. He brings judgment to those who are outside of faith. He brings discipline to the believer. But do you know why he brings discipline to us as believers? That's what I see in all of this, in Hosea and in all of the books of the prophets. It's because he wants you and I to be able to remain faithful so that we can remain within the covering of the blessing and the hand of God. That's not a prosperity gospel, folks. That is a blessing gospel. That's the reality that I'm walking in the presence of God. That's why even the psalmist can, can, can declare, hey, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm going to fear no evil because my God is with me. His rod and his staff, it comforts, comforts me. Even in the presence of my enemies, 
He's going to set a table before me. Man, I know that I'm going to be with him all the days of my life. Do you ever realize that in Psalm 23, he doesn't say, God's going to bring light into a dark valley for me. No. He's just going to be with me through the dark valley. He doesn't say, and he's going to do away with all of my enemies. And he says, no, I'm going to give you a, no, I'm going to give you a banquet table right in the presence of your enemy. And the only way that that can happen is when we're walking in obedience. When we're walking in obedience. Because when we move out of obedience, we move out of the covering of the blessing of his hand. And that's what this message is. Amen. From the book of Hosea to the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, the 12 minor prophets are rich with important prophecies, some pertaining to things that have already happened and some pertaining to things that are yet to come. Join us as Pastor David teaches through these books verse by verse. You can get a free copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to www.theopenword.com. That's TheOpenWord.com. Although The Open Word is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the Word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's Word from beginning to end. If not, we'd like to invite you to join us at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande for worship on Saturday evenings, Sunday mornings, or Wednesday evenings. For service times, driving directions, and more information, Log on to TheOpenWord.com and follow the link to Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. Make sure and check out our Facebook page. Log on to TheOpenWord.com and then follow the link to The Open Word Facebook page. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word with David Landry. Please join us next time for the next edition of The Open Word.